This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for September 21st, 2018. In this week's episode, we'll be running down some of the new features in Apple's just-released iOS 12 update. Plus, the new Safari 12 browser has a surprise for users of browser extensions. And we've got an update on the Trend Micro fiasco from last week. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. It's been a busy week. iOS 12 came out on Monday, and I don't know about you, Josh, but this sets off a flurry of download iOS 12 on every device, make sure everything is updated, then there's all these apps to update, and it just saturates my internet connection for a day. Yeah, easily. There's so many apps. I mean, pretty much every developer who's actively developing an app for iOS is updating it right now. If If they already have, then they're probably releasing a newer version of it the next day because, oh, shoot, we forgot something else. It's it's pretty hectic right now. Yeah, there were a lot of app updates in the week before iOS 12 came out. But as soon as you install iOS 12, you all of a sudden see a whole lot more updates. I think that there are some apps, since they're only uh, compatible with iOS 12 and not backward compatible with iOS 11, you won't see the updates until you've updated the operating system. Right. You won't be offered the newer version until after you upgrade. Exactly. Because if you downloaded something that didn't work with iOS 11, then the app wouldn't work, and that would defeat the purpose of the whole thing. So you ordered a phone Friday, didn't you? We talked about this in advance. What did you order? I did. When we're recording this, this is Thursday the 20th, so tomorrow sometime during the day, I'm going to have an iPhone XS getting delivered to my house, so... Are you staying home from work? My my wife will be home, so she'll she'll answer the door. Yes, I know that that is something that you've got to be aware of is that Apple will not just leave it on the porch, which I appreciate because you know that's definitely something you don't want to have uh, lifted off your porch. Yeah, I ordered an Apple Watch and I expected it to be delivered tomorrow, but shortly after I placed the order, which said it was going to be delivered on the twenty first, the confirmation email said sometime between the twenty sixth and the first of October. So I'm disappointed. I may go a whole week of tech lust while everyone is shooting these (laughs) pictures of their new Apple Watch and showing them on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and I'll just be here with my lame old Apple Watch Series 3. Did you order it at midnight Pacific time? Well, that's 8 a.m. I ordered it as soon as it was available. It was about 8.08 a.m. because there's always a few minutes before it actually before the website actually responds. I ordered it immediately. I had already picked which model I was getting. And so what I find interesting, and if you've been seeing the Mac press, there seem to have been a lot of orders for the Apple Watch and orders for the iPhone seem to be relatively subdued this time. Yeah. And and I kind of wonder if some of that is just uh, a lot of people are kind of unsure if they're going to get the XS or the XR, or maybe there's a lot of people who are just like, you know, the XR is good enough for me. I'll just wait a little while. Yes, that's certainly true. I mean, I think there's iPhone fatigue for some people, but the XR at $250 less. Not everyone needs that OLED display. Uh, If I were to get a new iPhone, I would choose that. And and that's sometime in October. And we'll see then if that is as popular as like the iPhone SE when it came out a little more than two years ago, which was extremely popular, unexpectedly so. Right. Yeah. And I kind of suspect that that's what's going on here is that there's just enough people waiting for that 10R. And that probably accounts for the maybe not quite as as much frenzy over the current models that are available. 
So in addition to iOS 12, we have a new version of Safari, Safari 12. I don't know if that's a coincidence that they've got the same version number. You know, when we get a new update to Safari, it's very rare that there are major features. A lot of it is under the hood improvements in speed and rendering web pages and security issues. The only one that I can see right now I'm looking at Safari is I use a number of pin tabs in my browser and they show the actual website icons instead of those little gray letters on the, the, the dark gray letters on the light gray boxes. It's a minor improvement, but it does mean that as I'm looking at them, I know that that one's blue, that one's red, and it'll be easier for me to see which is which. Other than that, there are some security issues. And if you use any Safari extensions, you may have discovered a dialogue when you first launched Safari 12 saying that certain extensions were disabled, that they would slow down your browsing. That sounds ominous, Josh. Yeah, it's sort of strange, especially because... Ironically, some of these extensions that are getting disabled are ones that are supposed to be blocking advertisements and things. And like one of the purposes of installing these ad blocking extensions is to prevent those sites from slowing down your browsing experience. So it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny that Apple would say that. But in their developer documentation, they they talk about how some particular event call that certain extensions do cause it to trigger this, you know, automatic disabling on first launch of, of Safari 12. So it's it's not necessarily that it's going to slow down your browser. It's more just that Apple is kind of warning you that there's a possibility that that particular extension might because of one of the things that it does. So I think it's safe to really to, if if you trust the extension that got disabled, it's safe to turn it back on. Right. So that's the case for me with Ghostery, which is a tracker blocker. I turned it on and my computer did not melt down. My web browsing did not freeze. So I'm not too worried about it. There's something else in the security and privacy notes. I'll have a link in the show notes to a developer page about what's new in Safari. I'm going to read this sentence, but I don't understand it. So they've added Intelligent Tracking Prevention 2.0, which means there was already a one point something. Improved Intelligent Tracking Prevention to permanently partition cookie access in third-party contexts. Add a user prompt to the Storage Access API. Detect bounce trackers and purge their website data. Identify tracker collusion. And send origin-only headers for third-party tracker requests. Now, before we started recording, we were trying to figure out what this means, and Josh is going to tell us about it next week. I I think basically what it means is that they're locking down Safari as much as possible so code on web pages can't track you, can't identify you, can't share your profile with others. And, And that's one of the biggest problems, isn't it? We were discussing about Amazon. If someone clicks an Amazon affiliate link, Amazon stores the information on their website. They have no desire to sell it to anyone else, whereas these other advertising companies... They make a lot of their money collecting your data and selling it to others. So Apple seems to be trying to fend off that sort of activity. Yeah, this is something that in the keynote, they didn't get really into a lot of developer specifics. And they showed kind of a graphic on the uh, on the big screen to illustrate for everybody what this intelligent tracking prevention means. And they showed a fingerprint And they said, this is what advertisers and trackers can see about you right now. They can almost uniquely identify you. And in some cases, they can uniquely identify you and know you exactly who you are. 
and then some improvements have been made over time and then they show kind of a blurred slightly blurred fingerprint and then they go and then we're introducing intelligent tracking prevention 2.0 and they show this you know very very much obscured <laughs> fingerprint that you can hardly tell that it's a fingerprint and they said this is in safari you know I, they didn't say it exactly like that but that's more or less kind of how they how they presented it. And so uh, I was kind of scratching my head going, well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it kind of depends on what exactly they're doing. And frankly, there's always going to be some new clever way that uh, web developers are going to find a way around all these new controls. It's a cat and mouse game. So there, I, I'm sure that there will be new ways to to track people, but at least it's nice to know that Apple is doing some things that it's figured out that should help improve that privacy experience. Now this, on the other hand, is not such a great thing necessarily for web developers and, and some of the companies that are relying on tracking for, you know, fairly legitimate purposes that, you know, are not necessarily trying to violate your privacy, but, you know, like affiliate programs are sometimes affected by things like this. Yeah, we'll see. Josh, you have an assignment for next week. It's to figure this out and report back. Again, most people won't really care about this, but as you say, web designers, people with affiliate programs, people who have a somewhat legitimate reason for tracking users. But there, as you say, it's a cat and mouse game, and maybe people will figure out ways to get around this, and Apple will lock it down even more. Of course, what's interesting is that obviously Google Chrome doesn't have this sort of things because this is how Google makes their money. Firefox, I don't know where they stand on this. Are they anti-advertising, or are they... Oh, didn't Firefox have a thing where they were starting to sell user information or something? You know, it's interesting because really any uh, all of these companies, uh, Apple and Mozilla and, and Google, they've they've all kind of played at different angles, I think, of this from from time to time. And I think they all want you to believe at this point that they really care about your privacy. But Apple, not that they necessarily directly call out Google, but there's sort of an implicit thing in a lot of Apple's statements about privacy, where it sounds like they're pretty much targeting Google and Facebook, probably more so than other companies. But Apple really is is taking aim at these business models that rely on making money from information about you that's collected through trackers and advertisements and things. Right. They're selling their products as a way for you to retain control of your privacy rather than selling your soul when you buy an Android phone, for example. Okay, just to follow up on something we talked about last week, there were these issues with these apps from Trend Micro that were in the Mac App Store and that were hijacking information. You got some responses from Trend Micro. Tell us what they've said. That's right. And this, by the way, is an Intego exclusive <laughs> because you remember we, we talked last week about how they had updated their blog post a couple of times to add some new things to their frequently asked questions. They did not add these yet. So, um, so this is uh, something that um, we can uniquely report. These are the statements that I got from Trend Micro. So my question, one question was, is Trend Micro's server now refusing to accept the zip file. Remember, we talked last week about how it was gathering your browsing history from all your browsers and bundling that up in an encrypted zip file, a password-protected zip file, and uploading that to a trendmicro.com server. So my question was, okay, so what if you have an old version of that app still installed? Will that old version of the app still be uploading a zip file? Because Trend Micro had said, well, we purged all those old zip files. And so my question was, what if you have an old version? Can it still upload the zip file? What are you doing with that then? 
and they said, we have disabled the API on our backend, so even the older versions that try and submit the information will get rejected by the server, resulting in no collected information. So that's good. And that's exactly what we would expect them to be doing if they're dealing with this honestly. Right. And they did not specifically state whether they had already done that before I asked <laughs> or whether they did that after. But it's good to know that they are doing that at least. So Okay. And then question two was, who at Trend Micro or its contractors or partners has ever had access to those files? And they said, the files were only able to be accessed by our authorized development team for the, the production in accordance with our privacy data slash personal information collection policies. Third parties never had access to this information. So if that's true, that's, that's good. If that's true. But everyone says that, don't they? Until they don't. Okay, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the great new features in iOS 12. I would like to announce our August Intego Survey Contest winner. If you haven't noticed, check in the show notes. There's a link to a survey on the Intego website. You can win a $100 Visa gift card. This month's winner was Liz S. She's in the UK like I am. Hi, Liz. Congratulations. Spend your money wisely. Use it to pay for part of your new iPhone. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, so we mentioned iOS 12 earlier. We've got it on all our devices. We've been using it for a few days now. I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that there are more interesting features in iOS 12 than in the past few versions of iOS. What do you think? Well, if you're talking about Animoji... Uh... No, 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 no. I said interesting <laughs> features, not things for six-year-olds. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like uh, like they've done some clever things uh, with the camera app and FaceTime now with uh, with up to 32 people. Not quite yet, but coming in fall. Right, coming in fall. Just like that AirPower wireless charging pad that's not quite ready yet. What was the thing in the Monty Python movie? I'm not dead yet. I'm getting better. <laughs> that's kind of like... This sort of vaporware is a little bit frustrating. I We said earlier in an earlier episode, why did they initially plan to do FaceTime with 32 people. Why not four or six or something reasonable? But I, I want to look at a few of the specific features in iOS that I found interesting. I'll link to an article on the Mac security blog. I, I wish I could do a Tim Cook voice or a Phil Schiller voice. 
this is the fastest version of iOS ever. And they say that every year. And it's the fastest iPhone ever. And it was the fastest iPod ever and the fastest iMac and all that. And it's true. Things are faster. I haven't necessarily noticed it that much because I'm mostly using an iPhone 8 Plus and an iPad Pro. People on older devices have told me that they are seeing more of a difference. You won't see this really obviously, but it's there. We, we just have to trust them. One of the things I really like is the way you can manage notifications. You probably get lots of notifications. In fact, in a little bit, I'll explain how you can see exactly how many notifications you get every day. In the past, you know how you're in a messages conversation with four people, but you're at dinner or you're working out or you're busy and you just keep getting these notifications every time someone else answers. And you look at your phone and there's this list that's just scrolling down as people answer. Well, now these are all grouped by app. So you get a, a stack of notifications for a specific app and you can tap it to read them all. There is a really good do not disturb feature if you really just don't want to get notified and disturbed. In Control Center, if you tap and hold the Crescent Moon button, that's the do not disturb, you get the following options. For one hour, until this evening, until I leave this location, until the end of this event. So if you've got an event in your calendar, like I do right now, which says, you know, podcast recording, I can turn this on to not be notified until the end of the event. Of course, it doesn't know when we've stopped recording, but it knows the duration I've put in the calendar. Previously, Do Not Disturb was on-off, and you had to remember to turn it back on, and people would forget, and they'd be wondering why they weren't getting notified when they were getting phone calls. Right. So this is, a, I, I think, a really useful upgrade to the Do Not Disturb feature. And it, of course, it does rely on you, it, or the until the end of this event uh, option anyway, it relies on you putting things into your calendar. So into specifically your calendar app that comes from Apple. You, if you're using Google Calendar or something like that, then you might be a little bit out of luck. Yes, unless you have Google Calendar syncing with your calendar, that gets complicated. I'm not sure how that works. So the next really useful feature is screen time. And I'll have a, a detailed article about this on the Mac Security blog. I, I like this idea because, first of all, it's going to tell you how much time you've spent looking at your device. And, you know, you don't think about it that you're, you get up in the morning, you check your email, maybe you check Facebook or whatever, and then you're on your way to work and you're reading some news and that's fine. And then you play a little bit of Candy Crush Saga and, you know, whatever you want to do. But at the end of the day, you don't realize you've maybe spent five hours or six hours looking at your iPhone or your iPad. Screen time is going to add all this up either for one device or you can even have it group all your devices that are signed into the same iCloud account. It shows you how much time you've spent by category, by app, how many notifications you've got. So this is where you can see if you have too many notifications, how many times you've picked up your phone. Now, that's actually an interesting one because I have some smart lights in my office. So I pick up my phone to turn on the smart lights. I pick up the phone sometimes to check the temperature outside because I have a weather station. So there are a lot of pickups that might not be real pickups. And in fact, here, I'm going to just rationalize. But, you know, since I write about this stuff, sometimes I spend a lot of time looking at a specific app because I'm describing it. So it kind of skews the numbers depending on what you do. If you use your iPhone for work, phone calls, text messages, and all that, it's going to show a screen time. So you have to be able to sort out what is necessary essential screen time and what is fluff. And that's that's fair, although it does to me sound like you are justifying a bit. 
But the, one, of the, one of the things that I do like about this, though, is that um, you can also, if you choose, you can set a limitation on the amount of time that you spend in a particular app or particular category of app. So, for example, uh, if you want to only spend 30 minutes a day on games and restrict yourself to exactly 30 minutes, and I'm not going to play any more games once I get to 30 minutes, you can set a restriction for yourself, and you can bypass it if you choose to for that day. But this is nice uh, for those who are kind of concerned about how much time they're spending on social media or things like that. To be able to, to put restrictions on onto those apps for yourself is kind of a nice thing, too. And for your children. Right. Right. So this replaces the previous, what they called restrictions, which are parental control settings. You can block a single app. You can set times when a child can't use the device. You can set limits per category. So let's say they can only use social media for an hour a day. This gets a little bit problematic because they consider messages to be social media, whereas for many people, messages is really communication. So you have to kind of look at which apps get classed as, as, as which category and see how to do it. But I think this is a good way to control use by kids of iOS devices. Are you going to use this for your kids? Well, my kids don't really have a, a, an iOS 12 compatible device that, that they're using. But um, I, if if they did, I would definitely consider this. I think there are plenty of useful improvements here that could be very useful for, for families. Yeah. One thing that I find interesting is when I do look at some of the numbers, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and so he'd had it on for a week. A lot of us have been running iOS 12 since the release of the Golden Master, and that's the final version. It's the equivalent of the shipping version that's released to developers. So my friend had been doing this for a week, and he was surprised to find that there were 18 hours of games. I don't know exactly what games he plays, and he's a software he runs a small software company. So I was thinking, you know, 18 hours, that's a lot of time to be spending. Now, maybe he's doing it all, you know, in the evening when he's not at work. But what I did find is I like to do the New York Times crossword. In the past couple of weeks, I've been going back into the archive and doing like Mondays and Tuesdays because I'm not very good. The New York Times crossword is interesting because Monday is the easiest and it gets harder throughout the week. Sunday is like a Thursday kind of. So I've been doing the easy ones, and I actually spent three hours and nine minutes doing crossword puzzles in the week. You're kidding me. Yeah. What? Well, that's that's a half hour a day when you think about it. Okay. If you look at the seven-day thing, it looks a little bit scarier. And I must say that having binge-watched a TV series on the BBC iPlayer shows up there as well. So there are some new apps in iOS 12, and they've rejiggered a few apps, the Books app, the Stocks app. It's nice stuff, but there's an app called Measure, which initially sounded really cool. It uses augmented reality. So you're looking at the screen and the camera shows you and there's overlays and you set down points to measure things. And I thought, wow, this is really great. Next time I need to measure a, a box to, to ship it, to take it to the post office, I'll use this. Well, I'll put a link in the show notes to an article on my website. I tried measuring a number of things and man, this is inaccurate. As much as 20% off for a picture on my wall, I measured a flute I own that is 55 centimeters long, and it measured it alternately at 51, 53, and 57 centimeters. I measured a stool, and it was about 5% off as well. So it's a really great idea, but talking about this with other people on Twitter, lots of people have examples of how inaccurate it is. Have you tried playing with this? Um, only a little bit. Um, the, the couple of use cases that I was attempting to use it for, I didn't really like my environment or something, so it didn't quite work as well as I thought it would. This is definitely something that requires a little bit of experimentation to see what it will actually measure 
and also how accurate it really is before you rely on that data too much. Well, Apple hasn't given any limitations. They haven't said it won't measure anything. Apparently, this is a thing, and I only found out about this on some random websites, that people are using it to measure their cats and dogs. Oh. Now, you know, your dog's lying on the ground and you measure them. It's not a very useful measurement. You know, or someone holding the tail out to make sure they get from nose to tail. But when a cat's curled up, it's not a good measurement. But apparently this is a meme and people are sharing pictures of this because when you use this app, you tap a button to save a screenshot because that screenshot shows you the measurement. Otherwise, if you were to just look away, you'd forget what it is. It can detect squares and rectangles and circles and determine the area, but I find it relatively useless. It's a good party toy, though, if you go to someone's house and you want to, you know, measure their dog. Well, I mean, this is something that Apple has implemented as kind of an, a demonstration of AR kit, you know, this augmented reality. Augmented thing. reality. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's I'm, I'm sure that Apple expects that developers are going to be, you know, building on this idea and coming up with things that are better. I think it was kind of a sort of a chicken and egg thing. I think Apple kind of felt like, hey, not enough people are really using AR Let's make something that is useful, that comes built in, that kind of encourages developers to, to play around with AR more. Okay, so I've got a chicken in the fridge. After the show, I'll go measure that and I'll measure some eggs and see what it turns up. <laughs> so in, in security, iCloud Keychain has gotten some really interesting improvements. Um, we'll have an in-depth article about that pretty soon. We've been using iCloud Keychain for a few years to autofill passwords in Safari. It now works in third-party apps. It also works with third-party password managers. So if you were using, I use 1Password, if you were using that, you would have to switch to the app, log into it, maybe with Touch ID or Face ID, find the password, copy it, come back, paste it. Now that's automatic. The, the interface is automatic. Another thing that I really like, and, and I kind of don't understand why they didn't do this before, is that whenever it auto-fills a password, it now requires you to use Touch ID or Face ID to authenticate. And when you think about it, they should have done that before, shouldn't they? Hmm. Yeah, I suppose so. Because otherwise, well, what, what, so what did it do before? I'm trying to remember now. It just automatically filled it. And then you would just press return or go or log in or whatever. And, you know, to, to use an example we've used in the past, you leave your iPhone on the, the desk and it's not quite asleep. And Tom comes walking by and picks it up and goes to a web page and he can log in even if he doesn't know your password. Now he can't do that. Unless, of course, you can clone your fingerprint, but that's advanced technology. Does Apple still, in iOS 12, do they let you choose not to have any sort of lock on your device so that you can just pick it up and, and use it? Or does it require you to use Face ID, Touch ID, or a PIN? I haven't looked at that, but, you know, it's been a few versions since you didn't have to press the home button. You only had to touch the home button. It might go back to the iPhone SE or, yeah, it might be the iPhone SE. And that's what I do. I just touch the home button on my iPhone 8 Plus. It's fast enough. Face ID is fast enough. But I know people for whom Touch ID does not work. They can't, they get it to work for a week and then it just stops because their skin is too dry or something like that. So I'm not sure. We'll have to look into that and report back. I, I know for certain environments, like an education environment, for example, where you might have a classroom, you know, cart of iPads, they're not necessarily assigned to an individual student. And 
you know, in those kind of scenarios, you don't necessarily need to have the device locked. So I imagine they probably still allow you to do that in iOS 12, but we definitely recommend for consumers, anybody who uses a device that's personally associated with them in some way, you definitely, definitely want to have that locked and use Face ID or Touch ID. At the very least, use a long password. If, if you're gonna do that though, you'll probably <laughs> prefer to also use Face ID or Touch ID just because typing a long password every time you pick up your device can be a little bit annoying. One other feature I really like is that, you know, when you go to a website and it's using two-factor authentication and it's sending you that six-digit code, and I know, I know, it's not the most secure way. You've told us about this before, Josh. But for many of us, it's the best we have with certain websites. Well, it used to be you'd have to go to messages and select it and copy it or remember it and then switch back and then you type it in, but you didn't remember it right now it's going to automatically detect it. If the information that comes in the text message is sufficient, it'll automatically detect that you're waiting for this code and bump it right in so you don't have to waste any time. I think that's pretty slick. That is very cool. Finally, there is this one feature, which is the one that I think most people won't use. It's called shortcuts. And we'll talk about this a bit in the future. I plan to write something more uh, in depth about this. If you've ever used Automator on the Mac, then shortcuts will make sense to you. It's a way of adding routines. A certain app can do certain things. Just as an example, I use Automator to take certain images that I shoot, screenshots for articles, convert them to JPEG, and resize them to a specific size. Saves me a few steps with an image editor. And, you know, for some articles, it's, it's 10 images. And so that time adds up. So shortcuts can do similar things. Third-party apps can hook into it if they have the, the specific code to hook into it to provide access to certain actions that they can do. And you can control these with Siri. You can set a specific phrase to tell Siri to launch a shortcut. Now, I haven't really played with this too much. There's quite a learning curve in this, but we'll look at it in the future. I think this is interesting for those users who want this sort of power and who do repetitive things, but it's not easy for everyone. Yeah, and there's lots of really clever use cases for this. Um, just as one example, right now, if I pick up my my phone and activate Siri and say, take me home, it just launches the Maps app and puts in my home address and, and I can just hit go. If, if I choose to make a shortcut that uses uh, th that phrase, then I can have it also do some other things. Like, for example, maybe every time that I get in my car and I want to go home, Maybe I also want it to you know, play audio from a particular app. Maybe I also want it to send a text message and, and say, hey, I'm on my way or something like that. And you can string these things together and have all of those actions just pushed out at once, which is really, really cool, I think. Yeah. For instance, if it's winter, you might want to turn the thermostat on when you leave work and maybe it's a half hour to get home. So the house is roasty toasty. You might want to have your Wi-Fi coffee maker get ready to make you a shot of espresso. You, you might want to get one of those things like, what was it in Wallace and Gromit, where they had those things to get cheese sandwiches or something? <laughs> the smart home, right? Yeah, if you've got a smart home, there's a lot more things that you can do that are that are even more um, powerful, really, in, in your use case of just telling your device to do something. Yeah, I, I exaggerate a bit, but this is interesting. And I think we're at, really at the beginning, the very beginning of this sort of automation where you're bringing disparate devices together. We're used to automating on a computer or, or a, a tablet or a phone or something like this. But with the smart home stuff, you can glue all this stuff together. Anyway, that's enough for now. There'll be a link in the show notes to an article where I've discussed some of these features and more. 
And we'll be back next week to talk about Mojave because this podcast comes out on Friday. Mojave is coming out on Monday. Make sure you are aware that Intego software will be compatible with Mojave. So if you are an Intego user, download the latest update and then update your Mac to Mojave. And we'll see you next week. Until then, Josh, stay secure. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.